Today's scripture reading comes from Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My husband and I love to sing the song we'll be singing after this sermon called everyone neath their vine and fig tree we sing it to guests when they sit in our home and we dine under our grape arbor next to a fig tree this motif is repeated as a symbol throughout scripture of a secure home so imagine this peaceful setting as i share with you today but let's also imagine how God shakes us out of our false security when we ignore God's mandate to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God from Micah 6.8. So it's my prayer this morning that God would use me in these words as a vessel of God's love and justice. After reading through the seven chapters of Micah in one setting, I felt like I had just been on a roller coaster with God's severe judgment and severe mercy swinging back and forth throughout the book. Some find it hard to mix judgment with God's love, but Micah has gifted us with a message in how to do this. Micah was from a town called Morsheth Gath. You might recall the name Gath. It's a small town in the southwest of Judah where Goliath was slain by David. Micah's father's name was not given, so it suggests that Micah was a descendant from a common, the common people. So growing up in a small rural town, I can only imagine how Micah took courage from the story of Goliath when he boldly called out God's message of judgment on Judah and Jerusalem and love and cities by name in chapter 2. It struck me that he was not calling out individuals by name, but cities. Micah championed the poor by condemning oppressors who gobbled up the land of peasants. So, make sure I don't lose this. Repeatedly, God tells Israel that if she fails to keep God's law, she will lose her land, which is what happened. These Folks that he was calling out, these cities, had taken land, and now theirs was being taken. With severe mercy, God was now pushing people from their homes and their land. 
by calling out the cities in advance, they would know that God is just going to any length to wake them up. And God is using humans, common people like Micah, to announce this news. Micah was the first prophet to predict the downfall of Jerusalem and told them to get ready to grieve the loss of their land. Most of the Hebrew prophets spoke to cities and nations, not to individuals. So we, and so should we. Like Moses, who spoke to Pharaoh, and Esther, who spoke to the king, we speak to decision makers, to elected officials, to bring about justice and redemption. Because our American culture is so individualistic, we often read the Bible in a more personal way as if it's only about personal sin. And we miss the sin of cities and nations, of cultures of violence supported by unjust structures, unjust allocations of land and funds, and unjust policies and priorities. For example, Pasadena was beginning to experience a growing housing a homeless crisis in the 90s, but we didn't have a housing department to address this need. So we advocated for a housing department and we got one, pretty amazing. Now we have Bill Wong, who's our housing director for the city of Pasadena, who deeply, who's deeply respected, and he is highly committed to house our unhoused neighbors. Thanks to him, and thanks to a shift in thinking toward ending homeless, as opposed to managing homelessness, and thanks to our advocacy efforts and the work of homeless service providers, concerned churches and citizens, the homeless count in Pasadena has declined by 56%, from 1,216 in 2011 to 527 in 2020. To me, this is astounding, considering how really all other cities in LA County are seeing dramatic increases. This process of cultural and, and structural change around well-researched best practices is what I call redemption of the city. But the cities that Micah called out were beyond redemption. So what was the sin and rebellion of these cities and of Israel and Judah that Micah outlines for us that merits such severe judgment? It had to do with believing in false prophets more interested in money than in telling the truth. It had to do with taking land and homes from the poor. Jerusalem was doomed because its beautification was financed by dishonest business practices, which impoverished the city's citizens. In Micah chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man out of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. What does this remind you of? Of homes of our brothers and sisters in Palestine being bulldozed? It says you take homes by fraud and violence. Does it remind you of Bruce's Beach, who's been in the news taking where um, land was taken away from African-Americans using eminent domain 100 years ago by the city of Manhattan Beach. 
says you cheat a man out of his property and find a way to steal it. It's been very hopeful for me to learn that this return of property may become the first time in the U.S. that land that was taken would come back in the form of reparations. What about closer to home, where thousands of homes were taken by, from African Americans, where the 210 freeway and Parsons Engineering now sits? When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. What about the city, when a city refuses to allow the proper zoning for a church that has a dream to be able to provide housing on their underutilized land? This is the case on North Fair Oaks. Micah also lists that one of the sins is eviction, which God abhors. It says here in Micah chapter 4, verse 9, you have evicted women from their pleasant homes and forever stripped them and their children from all that God would have for them. This verse reminds me of all the immigrant children fleeing violence and seeking peace who have been stripped of all that God has for them. It also reminds me of those who are hanging on for dear life to their homes, having to choose between eating and paying rent. It's very hard to imagine what it's like for 66,000 people, 66,000 people, almost half the size of Pasadena, who now make sidewalks and encampments their home here in LA County. This is reminiscent of Calcutta, not the United States. People stripped of all that God has for them. In, this power, in his powerful award-winning book, Matthew Desmond, um, his book is called Evicted Pauper, uh, Poverty and Profit in America. Matthew Desmond helps us to imagine how it's possible that people can spiral down into homelessness. He also helps us to imagine some of the systemic factors at play. Desmond reminds us that once an eviction is on your record, you have little chance of another place to finding another place to live. He estimates that one million evictions take place in the U.S. Desmond sums up this injustice, injustice by saying that black women are locked out and black men are locked up. There's probably very few members here at Knox who have ever been evicted or locked up. But if you go to some of our African-American churches in town, too many of them are emptying out in a sense, evicted from our city because of skyrocketing housing costs and being locked out of better paying jobs. Let me bring it even closer to home. It's estimated that one in five students at PCC across the street are homeless. That's 19%. That's huge. I spoke to a college professor just two weeks ago who said that there was at least one homeless student in every one of her classes. Could a vision be fostered whereby PCC's large parking lots could have stacked parking and low-income apartments? This is not impossible. Many in our city are overhoused, according to Pasadena's housing director, Bill Wong. He says that many homeowners, especially older ones whose children have left for college, have more bedrooms than they need. Here, I want to tell you a story 
about what happened when I was on staff at Lake Avenue Church as the director of the STARS program. Most of the low-income kids that we served in this after-school program were living in out overcrowded conditions. Several of our youth lived in a home with 10 families, 10 families in one home. I was driving these kids in my eight-passenger Ford Taurus up towards Sierra Madre, and their eyes got bigger and bigger as the homes got bigger. And one said, there must be a lot of families that live there. When I explained that it was probably just one couple, they must, they said they must really feel lonely. You know, they may, be, may well be right. Home-sharing programs across the U.S. are addressing both overcrowding and overhoused communities and student homelessness and loneliness. Reweaving society, changing cultures, and creating life-giving structures that reflect God's mercy and God's justice. Perhaps just a program could take hold here in this community, in this city. For the past seven years, my husband Anthony and I have housed a brilliant, formerly homeless man in our backyard. He has become like family to us in our little back house. Each Wednesday, we enjoy a meal, a time of prayer and Bible study. I wish you could be part of these delightful discussions from a formerly homeless perspective. We've been humbled and transformed. If you live in a single-family home, I want you to imagine what's in your backyard. Let's consider how we might better utilize and be stewards of what God has given us and how we might be blessed to house a student or an unhoused neighbor. I believe Micah's message to us is one of hope. Hope is fostered when we participate in action and see results. From Micah, we see that God is real, that God does, not, that God does what he says. Micah foretells, foretells the destruction of Jerusalem, which was subsequently destroyed three times, the first one being the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy about 150 years later, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC. Micah tells us of an ideal as well, an ideal that could be made real. God does not settle to give us an ideal to strive for. Um, God does not settle, but gives us an ideal to strive for with both the mandate and the means to accomplish this ideal. The heart of this message in Micah is the verse you've heard today from Micah chapter 4, the focus of my sermon today. Please listen again to Micah chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God, where he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. The Lord will mediate between peoples and will settle disputes between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own vine, grapevines and fig trees. There will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise. Here, settling disputes without implements of war is interlinked with peasant farmers being freed from military oppression. 
Whoops. Due to conflict and war, in 2020 alone, 82.4 million people have been displaced. This is all just in one year. I thank God for the example of Knox Presbyterian to help house some of those that have been displaced. I believe that God is telling us that if we ended war, we'd keep people in their homes. People would then live in peace and secure everyone between their, under their own vine and fig trees. Is ending war possible? There, are there alternatives that indeed work? Indeed, yes. One of my favorite authors, Walter Wink, in his book, Engaging the Powers, lists samples of 73 different conflicts resolved without a gunshot. Each of these could have become major wars. I also love to point to the country of Costa Rica, a country that chose to have no military, but instead invest in education and environmental initiatives. Compared to other Latin American countries, Costa Rica is thriving. Is ending war possible? Is ending homelessness possible? We say yes. We know what ends homelessness and its homes. Just one policy we helped to get passed in 2001 and again strengthened in 2019 requires that 20% of all new housing be set aside as affordable. This inclusionary policy has produced over 1,000 homes spread throughout the city at no cost to the city. In the last two years, our OSHA team has been able to build hope with multiple prayer vigils and implements of change to create multiple wins, gaining approval of 149 permanent supportive housing units, which ends chronic homelessness. They won the approval of another 112 affordable senior units with 10% for those experiencing homelessness right next to the city hall in the center of our city. When one has their own vine and fig tree, a secure place to call home with the support to thrive, not just survive, we end homelessness for that one person. Cynthia Kirby, who was homeless for 10 years in East Pasadena, thanks to permanent supportive housing and the grace of God, her life has completely turned around. Today, she is employed by the Baptist Church. She's reunited with her husband and her daughter, and she's getting straight A's in her college classes. Dorothy Edwards was also homeless here in Pasadena for 17 years and is now in her secure apartment and on the national board for the Corporation for Supportive Housing as she flies around the country speaking. Marv's Place which looks like a Mediterranean villa, is not far from here, over on the corner of Union and Mar Vista. It houses 19 formerly homeless families, none of whom had worked, but today all are thriving, going back to school and are fully employed. The stability of a home changed everything. Even though most of our Bible translations may entitle Micah chapter 4 as God's future reign, I believe that this is not about the future. Rather, it's about what Jesus said to us, the kingdom of God is at hand, present now. 
today and that this passage is more about setting a standard for God's ideal today. Thy will be done on earth in Pasadena at Knox Presbyterian as in heaven. Dr. Martin Luther King said, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound up in the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. I just love that quote. To change our world and our cities, we need to change our thinking. To see housing as a right, not as a commodity. I was delighted to see in the recent LA Times article, editorial, promoting housing as a right. The United Nations has recognized a right to housing for decades. But this document, authored largely by Eleanor Roosevelt, was never ratified by the United States. Micah is saying that it is God's intention for everyone to have a right to housing, to live under their own vine and fig tree at peace and unafraid. Micah's beautiful vision came out of a time when people were being ravaged by injustice and losing their homes and going into exile. Micah said that he howled like a jackal and moaned like an owl. He was grieved over the destruction of these cities. Grieving is an important part of justice work. Do we let ourselves feel the pain of our unhoused neighbors and of immigrants fleeing violence and fear? When we get to know our homeless neighbors by name and hear their stories and stories of those being forced into exile by war, we are indeed forever changed. In Micah 7, verse 8, he says this, I sit in darkness, but I will rise again. Then in Micah 5, verse 1, it says that Micah challenged those who were called to destroy Jerusalem to mobilize, to marshal your troops. With the love of Christ in our hearts, we need to mobilize and marshal people of faith and conscience to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Our seemingly humble actions really do make a difference. It's interesting, when I go to the city hall, I often see our, election, our elected officials' heads bobbing like this because they're counting. They're counting the number of people mobilized that are coming out to make a stand. They need to borrow our courage and belief that God's vision for cities is possible today. They need to know that we have their backs so they can have courage and take a stand against the status quo. It will take a holy army to change our policies. It has taken an army just to get people like Cynthia Kirby and Dorothy Edwards housed. Not just the service providers, but changed policies, changed thinking, secured apartments, secured land, financing, architects, volunteers, and generous donors. But each human being is made in God's image, and each person is worth it. These women are secure in their own apartments, where they pay only a third of their income on rent. But most renters don't have this security. Half of Pasadena is more than is spending more than 50%, 50% of their income on rents and mortgage. This is not sustainable. And there's really nothing that prevents a landlord from increasing rents as much as they can. 
Rent control is actually a really great policy, but it's been given a very bad rap. We desperately need this in place. It will take an army of committed people to institute such a policy and debunk all the misconceptions about it. Anthony and I spent hours having a blast getting to know our neighbors and asking them to sign official petitions. It was a delight to see how many were eager to sign, even landlords. But we were just shy of the 13,000 signatures needed, so we're going again this year. Micah has inspired my Quaker husband, as well as many others, to work to end war. It has inspired both of us to work so that everyone will have a decent and secure place that everyone can afford. This makes for a healthy mix of incomes within a city. It lowers traffic, it brings investment, and all kinds of local benefits. California recognized this, this as a best practice, requiring that every city plan for enough housing for all income levels. But the key word here is plan. Need to hear that. It doesn't require implementation. No laws actually require affordable housing to be built. But today, it's one of the biggest needs. And only, it's only built due to advocacy. Each year, Anthony goes to Washington, D.C. to join hundreds of other Quakers who lobby elected officials to end war and poverty. Their vision is to seek a world free of war and the threat of war, a society with equity and justice for all. They haven't reached their goal yet, but have, many, have had many victories along the way, just as this week's passage of the House in the House of the repeal of the authorization of the use of military force. This authorization has been used as a blank check by presidents to justify military interventions. Recently, Anthony helped to orchestrate powerful coalitions of folks to meet with Senator Feinstein and Padilla that has helped to push this forward. I'm so proud of him. Our nonprofit, Making Housing and Community Happen, is seeking to end poverty by ending home, housing insecurity and homelessness. We're doing this with an amazing network of churches and volunteers and partners. Our seven teams do uh, research, show up, speak with courage and truth and the love of Christ. We are creating the world we seek. We chose the vine and fig tree as the motif on our logo so that it's a reminder of God's intention that everyone should be housed and live in peace. We know that this is possible. When Congress passed the Housing Act in 1968, it committed the nation to the goal of producing 2.6 million units of affordable housing each year, including 600,000 annually for low-income families. As a result, in the early 70s, we were close to meeting the need for affordable housing nationwide. But since then, HUD and other programs have been cut every year, almost in half. Even, and even though during this whole time, the need has constantly increased. At the same time, half of the U.S. budget has been squeezing out. Half the U.S. budget is for military and has been squeezing out domestic spending. Funding priorities are one of the factors leading the housing crisis today. It takes faith to imagine a world as it should be, 
especially with 66,000 people experiencing homelessness in LA County. But it wasn't always so, and other countries have figured out how to adequately house their populations. Examples give us hope. The vision of the vine and fig tree give us hope. Ending war and poverty is not an impossible dream because we know it's God's intention. Great things can happen in small cities and town, towns. Micah predicted that the Messiah would be, would be born in Bethlehem. It says in Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, are, the, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler in Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. In John 15, Jesus refers to himself as the vine, the true vine, and we the branches. Let us cling to this vine as we lift up God's intentions for a world in which everyone is housed and everyone lives in peace and unafraid. Thank you.